Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have a really special guest on today's episode. Her pen name is Anna M. Jonathan. She is a victim of satanic ritual abuse and a satanic ritual abuse occult. I don't know a lot about this, so I'm really interested in talking with her today. Trigger warning for those of you who this might be a really rough topic for. We're not going to get graphic into the actual literal abuse We will talk around that because I don't want to trigger anybody, but we are also going to talk about how this interacted with her faith and the religion that she is a part of. She and I share the same faith tradition. We're both still active in our church. So we're going to be talking about that. For those of you who are agnostic or different Christian religions or Jewish or Muslim or whatever you are, you are welcome here. We are going to just share from our own faith experience. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. We're going to start with the definition of satanic ritual abuse occult. Would you say there's a difference between just satanic ritual abuse and the occult part? I think when someone hears um, the title satanic ritual abuse occult, they just shut down many times. And when you break it down, it it makes a lot of sense. You know, satanic is just Satan, evil. And ritual is something you do in a precise manner. And we all do things like that. We have rituals every morning. We get up and brush our teeth and eat our breakfast or something like that. So a ritual is not evil in itself, but it is when it's put together with the word Satan, abuse, or occult. The ritual is not a good situation. Abuse is hurting someone with violence or cruelty, and it could be done repeatedly. And occult means out of view or secret or a secret society. So you're just looking at, you know, an evil, evil things that are done in a precise manner, abusively, undercover, basically secret. The people who are engaging in these types of behaviors, do they know? Do they acknowledge? Like we acknowledge, whoa, this is evil. This is wrong. Do they acknowledge that what they're doing is what Satan would want? Are they like, 
yeah, Satan's proud of us like that? Or do they just think they're doing like, what do they think? Well, and I can't talk for all of them, but I, I can only talk for the occult that I was involved with um, from my birth. I was born into a family where my father was already a member of a satanic ritual abuse occult. And this particular occult was based really loosely on the law of Moses. And so mosaic law, there's different definitions of numbers and how things were done, ceremonies were done according to ages of people. And so they would loosely follow that, but yet would use actually my church that I grew up in as the cover. So they were all good members of the church, supposedly on the outside, but they would meet together and loosely base everything on a mosaic law. They felt like that they were interpreting things in their own way. So really quickly, when I hear the term satanic ritual abuse occult, I think that the people involved are like, um, we are worshiping Satan, you know, like that <laughs> they are acknowledging that they are, they talk about Satan, but you're saying that's not the case. The, the reason why it has that satanic label is because of the evilness of it. But in their actual rituals, they could be referencing God. They could be referencing scripture, or in, in this case, you're saying the law of Moses. And so like a little kid might not realize like this is evil. They might think, oh, this is just a religious ceremony. And is that, am I making sense? That's how they make it out to the occult that I was associated with. They mimicked, you know, the hierarchy in the church. You know, there was a, a bishop, a prophet, and people in the church type thing or in the occult. So they would mimic certain things, but yet they were very strong to do things that made you, you know, to let you know physically and tangibly that Jesus was not all powerful. Satan was more powerful than Jesus Christ. So when I say satanic... Oh, so they did... Okay, so they did acknowledge that. Okay. Yeah, it's a power struggle between is Jesus Christ, it's, it's not do they both exist? Does Jesus exist and does Satan is, exist? It's who's more powerful. And in their minds? Satan is more powerful because Satan is tangible, but Jesus Christ is a, you know, a thing of your imagination. Why is Satan tangible to them, just out of curiosity? Because... You can abuse someone and that because the, the violence is right there and it they can do right it. Okay. There. So they were acknowledging Satan. Right. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. So you have written that you didn't realize that your home was different than anyone else. Can you talk about that? I was born in the, the later 50s, 60s. And so back then you really didn't talk, you know, share a lot about the things in your home. Even up until I was married, I thought that the things that were happening to me at home as compared to being outside of the house were normal, that that's what people did, even though I didn't feel good about it. I got sick a lot as a child. I was I had mononucleosis for eight months and lots of throat issues, but I just thought I was a sickly child. My parents argued a lot and 
you know, I had um, several siblings and I just thought, well, all families are like that. All, all families struggle with their parents. You know, when you get to be a teenager, you know, you, everybody doesn't like their mom and dad. Well, I didn't like my dad, <laughs> you know, and so, no, no, I, and we weren't really allowed to mingle and really talk. You just didn't talk a lot about your family situation. And so I really was not aware until I was married and had gotten into therapy and started doing subcognitive thinking therapy that I started to realize that, whoa, something's really wrong here. And I, I really didn't understand it because I had been raised in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church. And so I really tried to live the principles of the gospel in my home and do everything I was supposed to do, you know, through the teachings of the church and just realized that I fell short all the time, that I just wasn't that good. You know, I always really had a bad self-esteem because I just felt like I just wasn't measuring up. Not knowing that you had experienced this horrendous, horrendous, horrific abuse in your home, thinking that something was wrong with you. Exactly. And, you know, not, not everyone in my home was experiencing the same things I was. There were some that, quote, were favored. Some of my siblings were favored that, that they were more involved in the occult and others weren't involved hardly at all. And we didn't talk between ourselves. As I look back and I look at other people and I've learned and had education and stuff, I realized, whoa, you know, our family... <laughs> was really raised in a very different situation. How many siblings did you have? I, there's eight children altogether. Has anyone, since you've realized what it was that you experienced and you've, I assume, kind of started talking about it, has anyone else confirmed your experience? How has that been with your siblings? What's interesting is I grew up in the church. I ended up marrying a returned missionary and later realized, actually realized, that it was basically an arranged marriage because my husband was a part of the occult, um, which I wasn't aware of. But we were married in the temple, sealed in the temple, had children, and, and they were starting to be groomed in the occult. I just knew something was really, really wrong. And I started going suicidal. And this was when I was married. And so after getting out of the psych unit for the first time, I was told that there was a real problem in my marriage. But divorce was never an option because I'd been sealed in the temple. It just, you know, I just kept trying to figure out what was wrong in my husband and my relationship that I was doing wrong you know, and, and why we, we always kept hitting brick walls. And so finally, I started going to see a therapist, and the therapist didn't pick up on any spousal abuse or child abuse that were both going on in our home. But I saw this therapist for four years, and he's the one that had me read a lot of books and stuff, and I started to realize that in the occult, you were punished if you showed any emotions at all. And I know that that's not just an occult thing. I, I know that there are husbands and, and wives, you know, that there's abuse that goes on where, you know, if you show any emotion, then you get more, more abused. 
but it was traumatic. You know, if you cried at all or whimpered at all as a child, you were horribly abused, um, hurt more. And so you learned not to show any emotions. But this therapist started teaching me to listen to myself and to really understand my feelings and, and, and go with my feelings. That was such a blessing. So I really started to listen to the spirit more and started trusting my feelings. And I started to get the feeling that something was really wrong, <laughs> especially when these doctors in the psych unit were saying, there's something wrong in your marriage. You need to get into some counseling and stuff. And my husband wouldn't do it, but it, it was not very long after I got out of the hospital that he left and we separated. Then I was blamed for keeping him out of the home. My kids wanted to see him so bad. And I just kept saying, no, there's something wrong. You know, no, he's not coming back in to the home. And as time went on the next few months, I ended up with a new therapist for three sessions. After two sessions, this therapist just said, would you at least try and consider divorce? And I was shocked. And I just said, okay. You know, I asked her why. What, what had I been saying that you would think I needed to get a divorce? And she said, there were three things. First of all, you can't stand him touching you. You don't trust him with your children. And you self-destruct in this relationship. And so within two hours after I left her office, I had a divorce attorney. I had finances to pay the attorney, and I called my bishop, and I knew that I needed to talk to him. From that point on, I just really had to listen to the spirit because I didn't have any support. I had no support from my family whatsoever. I had my two visiting teachers and a sibling that lived about five hours away that we talked on the phone, and this was before cell phones. We talked on the phone about every day. Those three women just encouraged me to follow my feelings, to, to follow the spirit and to have the faith and courage to follow it. Well, we did get a divorce, and that was extremely risky for me to do because that could blow the cover of the church for the occult because we, our family was looked at as the example family. We, we all had been sealed in the temple. All the kids had been, and we were all active and we were all, you know, ex excelled in our jobs and stuff. For listeners who aren't familiar with our faith, we attend church services on Sunday, and then we also participate in temple ordinances when she's talking about the temple, she's not talking about the satanic ritual abuse yeah. occult stuff. We've both attended the temple. Nothing occultish or satanic happens in our temples. So I just wanted to make sure that we separated that out. So as people listen to their story and they, they hear you talking about like we were sealed in the temple, which is um, a really beautiful ceremony and very peaceful and the spirits there. That's not what she's talking about. She's saying that she participated in that with her husband, thinking they had a good relationship. And then this, the satanic stuff was happening elsewhere. Sorry, I just wanted to make that clear for people who aren't members of our faith. I appreciate that. Did you start talking about the abuse during this time at all? Like, like publicly? You're saying that they didn't want you to blow the cover. So do you have family members at this time who are 
trying to kind of shut you up or are they trying to get you not to get divorced or what are they? Well, at this time, you realizing that I had I had just come out of the psych unit about eight months before this and I was on heavy medication. I wasn't working. I was a stay at home mom. And yet I was proceeding to get a divorce (laughs) and everyone, everyone, even my attorney just thought that I was just going to burn, just burn, you know, just fail totally. But I had the spirit of the Lord. I had the Lord on my side and I, I can testify of that. And we went through with the divorce and it wasn't until after the divorce and, and my bishop was very unhappy about it. He, Sorry, your bishop did not want you to get divorced? No, when I when I went and talked to him, you know, the, the day that I came home from the therapist and and the doors just started opening like crazy for me to walk through the doors of divorce. And I went to see my bishop three days later and I explained to him everything and I wanted his counsel on it. And he gave me a scripture to read out of the Book of Mormon. And I walked out of his office. He just said, if you read this scripture and do what it says, you will get your answer. And when I walked out of his office, I was so discouraged. But the thought came to me is that I had asked for his counsel, and I at least needed to try and follow that counsel and see what happened. And so I did. I went home that night, and I started studying that scripture. I started fasting and praying. And then a couple of days later, I went to the temple, which the temple for me was the sacred place. And I got my answer in the temple. And it was, it was definitely the answer that I was to divorce. And I was shocked because I thought something must be really wrong for the Lord to sanction a divorce. I still really didn't understand the, the whole of the whole situation. And so I just basically did this on faith. The bishop was shocked when I told him my answer. He, in fact, brought me some articles the night before the divorce court about how divorce was not the answer. And I wrote him a card and just said, I don't know why, but I know that if I don't do what I feel impressed to do here, that I will be destroyed. It's not going to be good. And I said, so I have to do this. I just, I just feel so impressed that I need to do this. And so I did in about a month later after the divorce, I felt so much peace but then I started getting the impression that I needed to educate it. And again, and you got to remember that this was, what, 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. And I felt impressed that I needed to educate myself on spousal abuse and child abuse. So I went to the library and started checking out books and reading. And that's when I realized that I was being abused as a spouse sexually. And then my the question came to me was, if if I'm no longer available, what does the perpetrator do? And the book, in the book I was reading, it confirmed, it says many times they'll turn to the children. And I just panicked. And it's been definitely an unfolding for me. But um, that's when I started learning about my children being abused, about my abuse. Subsequently, about 10 months later, we moved to a whole nother state. It's one of those stories where I 
prayed one night and just told the Lord that I would go anywhere he wanted me to go. I was hoping that we would move to my sibling five hours away that had been so supportive because I had no other support from any of my family. And, um, but the answer came that I was to move to a whole nother state where I knew nobody. After I fell apart and cried, <laughs> wondered why, I pulled up my bootstraps and got ready. And about six months later, we moved to another state. And when we moved and got that far away from my father, from the occult, from my former husband, my kids started talking about all the abuse that their father and their grandfather and I started remembering, I started having some dreams and started remembering piece by piece, all the occult abuse. And I was in therapy for about 14 years, off and on. I, I had many therapists until I found the one therapist that did understand child ritualistic abuse, which affects you in a very different way. You, you see things in such a different way when you are in a ritualistic abuse occult as a child growing up in it. I would work with a lot of therapists and I would get to a point and they would just think, hey, she's, she's good. And then I would relapse really bad and they couldn't understand why. But this one psychologist, it was kind of, we were the pioneers of that time. And this one psychologist knew what she was doing and she understood it. Now she was Jewish and so she didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And so I, as I remembered different things and was working through them, whenever anything came up where I had a very sacred experience, she and I would bump heads a lot, but um, she knew her stuff. She knew how to work these things through. And as I worked them through, I was able to eventually accept that I had been involved in a, a satanic abuse situation, which was really hard because I didn't want to be anything in, around anything so hideous, but then also realized that I was not responsible. That was another really hard thing to get over. And then to be able to put it in the past where it belonged, that it was not who I was now. It wasn't anything that I would choose. It's not anything that is happening to me now. And so um, there was a lot of healing that went on. Basically, through all of that, my husband kept coming and trying to get custody of the kids. And your ex-husband, right? Yeah, I had full custody of the kids. And he kept coming to the other state trying to, you know, get custody. And he never did. You know, un unless you experience some of it or understand some of it, it just sounds really crazy, but it, it's real and it does happen. It does not sound crazy to us. <laughs> you are not crazy. <laughs> Did you start talking publicly about it with your family members? Well, what's interesting is when I was in therapy working, starting to work through some things, you know, I would remember bits and pieces and I would try and put them together. And I remember talking to one of my siblings one day and saying, I know this sounds really crazy, but I just think that this has happened. Do you know anything about it? And she goes, oh, yes. She said, yeah, this did happen. And 
and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I kind of filled in a piece that she didn't have. My kids and I first moved to this new state. I started having dreams and it was dreams about my father coming into my room. The first thought I had was to call another sibling and say, can you come out and visit me? And when this sibling came out, we talked and I said, do you remember dad doing this or doing that? And, and she confirmed to me, yes. She goes, and, and just filled in a lot of different parts. This really happened. The more things that came out that way, it was just more validating. And, and also back when I first started remembering these things, I came across an article that had been written and someone had done a lot of research about uh, satanic abuse um, victims. And they had done an in-depth interview study with over 60 people. They said they could have done hundreds of more, but they limited it because it is very taxing. And I read it, it was like a 22 page uh, document and it was so validating. And these were people from all different denominations and um, it just was like, okay, I, I'm not crazy because there are all of these people that are saying, yeah, these things happened to us. And they weren't related people. You know, they weren't like, they didn't interview brothers and sisters. They had different people from all different families. As far as my own family, since I moved to the other state, I have had my one sibling um, come out and visit me when we first moved. And then another sibling moved close to me, which was great. <laughs> and then that's all. I don't, I don't have any connection with any of my family right now. And so I, and I haven't really talked publicly about this. I, I've talked to a lot of people individually and I had a lot of people in my ward that were very supportive when I was in therapy and I talked a lot to them. We're going to pause the conversation right here and Anna is going to come back next week. So stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.